Casey Selsky's here. He fought with the FSSF at the Battle of Anzio. They were among the first Allied soldiers to enter Rome and liberate it from the Nazis. He's here today with one of his 11 children, the former mayor of Alito, Illinois, Mayor Lee Selsky. When Casey came home from World War II, like a lot of the genuine heroes of war, he didn't have much to say. He left the war on the battlefield. Forty years later, his family coaxed the stories out of him. And 50 years after his return from World War II, Casey and Lee traveled back to Europe, back to the places where he'd fought, to visit the towns that the force had liberated. Near the Anzio beachhead, an Italian man realized finally who they were. The man dropped to his knees crying and thanked Casey Selsky. Then he pointed to a plaque written in Italian and English trying to explain what this was all about to his own son. This is one of the soldiers, he said, who saved our village. It was 50 years after the war had ended. Casey Selsky turned to his son Lee and said, all these years I wondered what I was doing here. Now I know why we fought. The first special service force, yes. The first special service force were all volunteers. The astonishing fact is not how many of them didn't finish, but how many survived. They operated under cover of darkness, deep behind enemy lines, using unconventional warfare tactics in support of other units. Every mission was a suicide mission. Units suffered 2,300 casualties, more than 130% of their original combat strength, but it never lost a mission, not one. First Special Service Force. The force existed for only two years, but its spirit lives on. The Green Berets, the Army Rangers, even the Navy SEALs, and the Marine Force Recon Units, Canadian Special Operations Regiments, and in all of today's Special Forces. For decades after the war ended, the story of these Canadian and American heroes and how they helped save the world was classified top secret. Now we know. And on behalf of the Congress of the United States and freedom-loving people around the world, we say thank you. GlobalRecon.net, giving you the matter of facts. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. This is the first episode of the new year, 2017. This is episode 60. We're almost at our one-year anniversary uh, for the Global Recon Podcast. It's been fun. It's been a lot of work, and uh, it's been a great journey so far. So I thought, being that this was the first episode of the new year, it would be good to have a gentleman on who was on before by the name of Wes Kennedy. And Wes is a former Canadian Special Operations Soldier, he served in CSOR, this Canadian Special Operations Regiment. But Wes runs a company now that focuses on helping people pass special operations selection for anyone who's going through selection in the United States, in Canada, and Britain, and Australia, and uh, several allied countries. And they've had a lot of success in getting people to get into these different units, whether it's a clearance diver or Army Green Beret, uh, SAS. So that they, you know, they're very good at what they do. And we get a lot of people contact us often asking for advice on how to pass selection and things like that. And I think the information and background that Wes has, not only in special operations, but in his understanding of nutrition and fitness and mindset is really invaluable. And that's why I thought this would be a great way to kick off the new year. Um, you can get some inspiration and Wes gives a couple of interesting methods for working on your mindset. And he has some interesting uh, feedback on some of the, the current fitness trends outside of selection type of stuff, which I find very interesting. And, you know, there's, he has just a, a, a wide variety of information on everything that's related to fitness, you know, nutrition and, and uh, mindset. 
So with that being said, now I will play the conversation that I had with Wes Kennedy. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, this is the first episode of the new year, 2017. Back on the podcast is retired Canadian Special Forces operator Wes Kennedy. Um, Wes, what's up, brother? Hey, man. How's it going? Glad to be back on the podcast. Happy New Year's. Yeah, Happy New Year's, man. It's good. You know, the New Year's just rolled around and a lot of people are enthusiastic and, and uh, ready to kind of take on the new year and and that sort of thing. I know you, you guys just went through an entire kind of rebranding process for your company. and Yeah, we did. We, um, we kind of doubled down our efforts and we really want to focus on um, mainly the guys that are training for special ops selection, the, the future warriors um, of the next generation. And, you know, law enforcement, military, other combat arms as well. Um, we used to have such a broad focus, including CrossFit and MMA and all that. And um, over the past year, we really came to realize that the, the people we want to work with most and, and serve are, are the, you know, the men um, and women um, of the armed forces and the Five Eyes community and specifically those that are uh, endeavoring to complete a special operation selection. And so the rebrand, by the way, is brotherhoodlife.com. Okay. And for people who don't know, what is the Five Eye community? Yeah, great question. Five Eye community is um, United States, Canada, United Kingdom, Australia, uh, and New Zealand. It's essentially a security designation for who might be able to see um, certain information. And it's just a way of um, classifying that information um, so that everybody knows which countries can be in the loop on that uh, info. Right. And basically those five countries have worked together for years and, um, you know, different capacities globally for security uh, operations, that kind of thing. So, so Wes, you, you started out, so on the last episode when you were on, you know, we, we spoke about some of your story and your journey throughout the Canadian military. We'll, we'll kind of have a refresher on that. Um, you started out in the infantry or? I started out as a combat engineer and uh, went to Afghanistan uh, under that role, searching for IDs and building dis- defensive structures. And our secondary role is to operate as infantry as well. And then when I came back, um, I was lucky to have a pretty smooth transition from um, my tour in Afghanistan to my post-tour leave, and which is, for those that don't know what leave is, just kind of our vacation or time off, and then uh, went right into special operations selection for uh, the Canadian Special Operations Regiment, which is a uh, unit that stood up in about 2006, actually right around the same time that MARSOC stood up and probably for a lot of the same reasons, just due to operational need in Afghanistan slash uh, Iraq. Um, and so that unit's about, I think we just celebrated our 10th anniversary uh, this summer. And, and then I spent the rest of my career uh, in the military in that unit. Okay. And how long were you in the Canadian military total? Eight years. I didn't go. I didn't sign up for the twenty twenty five year game. Kept it short and sweet. <laughs> um, okay, so the unit, you know, like you said, the unit's only been around for ten years, so that's relatively a short time period for a special operations unit. But due to the speed of war and the requirements of a, a wartime uh, military. I guess you guys have learned a lot of some of those lessons and went through those kind of growing pains fairly quickly, just like, as you said before, kind of Marsak had to kind of grow into their, their new role. And, and like I said, you know, at this speed of war, things are happening fast and, and a lot of lessons are learned in, in blood and, and things like that. Um, so the unit history traces its roots to, which is very interesting. And I don't think a lot of people are aware of this to the first uh, Special Service Force, which was a, a joint Canadian-American Special Forces unit uh, that worked during World War II. And it's kind of interesting history. If anyone you know wants to learn more about it, you can Google it. Um, 
the nickname was the Devil's Brigade. And I, I think that that may be the first time in history, I'm not exactly sure, but where two countries, special operations units were joined at the hip pretty much. Yeah, that I know of. Yep. Yeah. And they, um, you know, one of their most uh, notable um, battles was uh, the Battle of Monte La Defensa, which was this uh, mountain in, in Italy. And the allies were having a really hard time getting through this mountain pass because um, uh, German forces were state, you know, had outposts on top of these mountains. And every time they try and go up the uh, kind of the gradual slope to assault it, um, they just got completely wiped out. And one of the first missions that uh, the first special service force was tasked with was getting up this mountain. And instead of going up the same um, path that other regular force units, infantry units had gone up before, what they decided to do is go up at night um, and go climb up the rock face um, on the reverse slope. And because the Germans were expecting an attack from where they had been attacked from before up the gradual slope, uh, all their guns and defensive positions were set up to defend and attack from uh, attack a uh, or defend an attack from the other direction. And so they came up the reverse slope um, and they were successful um, in overtaking that position. Um, I had the opportunity to tour through Italy um, during my time in that unit and climb that same mountain and, uh, you know, doing it in broad daylight, I could only imagine that with less technically advanced gear and in the middle of night and the threat of German forces, you know, within earshot of them as they approached the top, um, it was quite an endeavor and, uh, and an accomplishment for them at that time. So very, very impressive. And we actually were able to um, bring one of the veterans with us um, up the mountain. Uh, he came up the, the, the gradual slope, but it was cool to see, uh, see that individual who had attacked that position, you know, decades earlier, um, come up and share his stories of that time. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Okay, so you know, you you spent your time serving in the first as an engineer, special operations, and now you've left the military. And you know, when you first started your company, like you said, you were focused on a, a few different type of avenues of fitness and health and and that sort of thing. But now, you guys are focusing more on special operations selection. Now. Along with focusing on that, you know, you have the physical aspect, but you also have the mental aspect. And I know that's something that you're very big on and that you uh, spend a lot of time learning and, and uh, helping people prepare themselves. So can we talk a little bit about some of that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, you know, what I've learned over the past several years working with hundreds of guys training for various special ops selections around the world uh, in that five eyes community is that, you know, the programming I spent a lot of time learning how to do that really well, learned from a lot of mentors, spent a lot of time learning how to do the nutrition very well and had mentors for that. Um, but over time I quickly kind of realized that that's almost like the fluff, um, of the training. It's, it's fairly easy to get to a point where you can deliver good individualized program design and good individualized nutrition. But what happens is there's few guys that just take it on and do it without question, hit it day in and day out, um, and are successful. What happens with most of us being the human beings that we are, uh, and making the mistakes that we do and having all the internal stories that we have about ourselves and limiting beliefs, et cetera, is eventually, guys hit a crossroads. You know, they say they're going to do something and they don't do it. They say they want to do something and they don't do it. And at that point, what a lot of guys do is just kind of force them, you know, the kind of the military mindset of suck it up, buttercup, you know, either do it or don't never quit. If you're a quitter, you're always a quitter. If you're not a quitter, 
you'll be successful. And it, it, it's pretty limited in terms of where you can go from there if that's the viewpoint. And so I've begin, begun to create a series of modules and trainings um, for that mindset piece so that guys can start doing some deeper inner work, understand where their behavior patterns come from, understand what practices to take on to overcome them, um, and how to really create change in themselves over time aside from just better body composition and and being able to lift more, but really coming from a place in life where they create everything that they want and they're able to consistently move forward. And so the first module we we cover in the mindset work is purpose. Um, a man without purpose is lost in the wind. If you don't have purpose when you wake up in the morning, you're going to be operating at a very reduced capacity and purpose to me is essentially what do I need to do before I die and what do I need to do right now and it's not always the easiest thing to uncover and so there's a lot of practices um, that go into that we have some recommended reading um, we have them take on playing around with you know, brainstorming what they think their purpose is, sharing it with other men in the group and getting reflections back. Um, one of the best thing that men can do is actually have those reflections from other men. It's, and we try and create those containers so that they're getting the feedback that they can't really get anywhere else in life because nobody else is going to give that to them, right? If we're outside a clear, safe, tight container, um, where they can receive that feedback. Um, they're not going to find that elsewhere, right? You, you know what it's like. We pay kind of lip service to being honest with each other. And when push comes to shove, we don't usually want our friends to be calling us out. And so having that structure where men are supporting other men, um, in many things, but in this particular instance, defining their purpose, I think is really important. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because the, the whole bit about, you know, waking up and having a purpose, because a, a lot of veterans, you know, from the, the Five Eye community, whether it's the U.S., Canada, Britain, you know, Australia, a lot of these veterans have come home, uh, you know, whether it's special operations or infantry, and they'll get out of the military and then they'll have some of their struggles. And I think a part of the, you know, kind of the epitome of, of the struggle is feeling like they lost that, that purpose, that sense of purpose. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's difficult for people to find it again. You know, when you were in, you know, let's say an infantry unit and you have a, a couple of deployments over, you know, maybe a seven or eight year span, you know, your purpose is clear. You have to train. When you get overseas, you have a, a clear objective. You have to fight and and do your job and it's that type of job requires full dedication in, in terms of time and mentally being there right and then when you get out sometimes people don't have you know you lose that and you can still have purpose and and dedicate yourself on an equally consistent level but a lot of people seem to lack that and i think some of that you know going outside of the the mindset for selection and stuff is where people seem to struggle post-military, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that with the purpose piece, guys also have to understand that it, it changes over time. You know, when I used to try and figure out what my life purpose was, I, I had so much, I put so much pressure on myself thinking like, oh, I got to figure out what my entire life's purpose is. And if I don't find that, I'll be purposeless. And your your purpose can change from, you know, maybe every six months or every year, or every couple of years, it could go from, um, you know, my purpose is to create uh, complete financial freedom, totally valid purpose. Your purpose could be to, um, lead the feminine in a romantic relationship. Your purpose could be to complete a special operation selection at the top of your class. You know, it could be a wide range of things, but it, I think that 
once one purpose kind of ends or it feels like it's complete, I think guys need to also be okay with not knowing. Like you can spend some time in the wilderness, so to speak, six months, nine months. Maybe it takes a year to really feel into what you're meant to do in the world. And one of the guys I um, read a lot of his content and listen to a lot of what he says, uh, a guy named David data, um, for anybody on the call familiar with him, they'll, he's most recognized for his book way of the superior man. One of the recent talks I listened to him do, he talked about a really simple way to figure out what your purpose is a really uncomfortable way. Um, and a lot of people won't do it. And you might not, I don't think you really have to do it this way, but it kind of drives home what it means to find your purpose. And so what he recommends is you sit down and you just sit there until you feel inspired to do something. So you sit there until you feel inspired to go take a shit and you go take a shit. When you're done that, you go back and you sit down and then you sit there and then maybe you feel inspired to go eat. And so you go eat and when you're, not inspired or motivated to eat anymore, you stop eating and you go sit back down and you just kind of continue to do that until you start getting that inspiration until something is really inspiring you and motivating you and pulling you to go do. And at that point, then you know what your purpose is. Yeah, that's interesting. So you kind of, you know, you, you'll have your inspiration to do the kind of smaller things. And then perhaps through that method, you can figure out, you know, what potentially could be your calling and that, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's one method of many. Um, and you know, there's things you, you're going to be inspired to probably go to work, right. And get maybe inspired to take care of your children. Um, so you might not be doing as much sitting as, uh, as you'd like, but, if you kind of start thinking of operating from that place of, you know, I'm, I'm going to do the things that inspire me, you'll be on a much quicker track to being inspired and motivated to do everything you're doing in life um, and figure out what your true calling is in that, in that moment or that year or long term. What do you need to do before you die and what do you need to do right now? Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So, you know, we, Typically on the show, sometimes guests will kind of share a story of maybe something that they went through in the military or an experience that they've had post-military. Uh, can you share an experience you've had throughout through a selection course, uh, you know, for the younger generation or even, you know, anyone who's looking to go through a selection and maybe just give them a taste of what it could be like? Yeah, I think I think the one I like sharing, um, it's just around quitting, you know, what to do when you feel like you're going to quit. I think there's a few different reasons that I see guys quit. Um, you know, one, they say they're injured or they're actually injured, which can kind of be quitting slash listening to your body and realizing you're going to seriously injure yourself if you don't stop. Uh, number two, because they think they're holding guys back, either they're holding their team back. So they're going to be the martyr and they're going to quit or, they think they've already failed. And so they think, well, why bother continue? I've already failed. I'm just going to quit now. Another one is because of their spouse or partner back home saying, Hey, I'm going to divorce you. If, if you continue through with this, right. you know, a day before the selection starts and then that's on their mind for, you know, a week or two weeks or three weeks. And that's a pretty uh, good way to get somebody to quit. And, you know, there's things you can do and just realize that those things might come up um, and then set yourself up for success through whatever structure supporting mechanism you need. For me, I didn't really think about quitting much at all throughout the selection, but near the end I did. I, I was, you know, it was one of the final events. I was really cold and it starts kind of slush snowing, you know, so we were wet and cold. And because we were constantly moving, we couldn't really dry off. We couldn't put a rain jacket on because we just sweat more. And uh, I was 
doing security um, for this specific task. And so I was just standing there. And it was the first time during this process where I, you know, I let that those thoughts sink into my head, like, oh man, I'd really like to be warm right now. Oh man, I could just, you know, go over there and say, hey, I'm done. He put me in a nice warm vehicle, be back at the shacks, taking out, you know, taking off my wet clothes, putting on some dry ones. And for me, I think in that moment, it was just really just ignoring it, figuring out something to do, which in that case meant I had to tell the guy that was leading that specific task, hey man, uh, I'm freezing here, I'm kind of shutting her down, can you give me something else to do or switch me out with somebody? You know, not having the pride to keep me from doing that, or I think anybody that's on a selection should be mindful, like don't be too proud, be ready to ask for help when you need it, we pay lip service to be a team player and forget that being a team player also means asking for what you need when you need it so that you can stay in the fight. Uh, and because I did that, I got something to do. I warmed up my motivation improved and I finished the selection and passed and was successful and got picked up for course. And so I think guys just need to be at the end of the day, guys need to be mindful that, as much as they think they wanted and as clearly as they've defined their purpose and as much as they've prepared and think they're ready for it, it's very likely that quitting will enter their mind at some point from some avenue or reason. And if they can go into it realizing that and having a game plan set up for when it does happen, um, I think they'll be a lot more successful. And, and it's it's only natural. If you're leaning on your edge hard enough in life and getting into your uncomfortable zone, it's 100% predictable that you're going to want to quit. If you don't want to quit in life at something, at some point, you're not, you're not leaning in your edge hard enough. You're playing it safe. Right. So basically, if you're, if you're pursuing something, you know, with the intensity that's required to succeed and kind of conquer it, at some point, you might think about quitting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's, I don't think you would not think about quitting if you're leaning, leaning into your edge and, and pushing yourself hard enough. You'll think about quitting in some form. How serious it is will differ from person to person. How serious it is, how serious it is will differ from, you know, task to task. You know, some people will take on, something really ambitious in one area of their life and they're able to just do it. And in other areas, they're always kind of getting stuck and held back and, and blocked up and, and, and just wanting to kind of throw in the towel. And I think when we throw in the towel, we don't like think I'm quitting. We we're really good at kind of tricking ourselves and enrolling ourselves into quitting. We can come up with some really good reasons. Like you'll never talk to somebody that's finished a select or that's quit a selection usually that says, man, I, I quit because of this. Usually they have a really good reason for why and an explanation and on and on and on. Um, because that's what they need to do. They need to give themselves that reason in the moment so they could allow themselves to do it. Um, and I think if we can just embrace the fact that, Hey, we're going to want to quit, we might quit. And then, set ourselves up for success from there, we're going to have a much better chance. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting now, I guess that, you know, there was a difference in, um, you know, time periods, right. Throughout the last 30 years or so, or even longer, right. For guys who wanted to go through a special operations course in terms of resources, right. Cause now, you know, someone who's listening to the podcast, they say, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about becoming a Navy SEAL, for example, let me go check out West Kennedy's website, right? Now, when you were going through your selection, I, I don't think there were as many resources out there to kind of prepare you uh, for selection. And and on top of that, can we talk a little bit about, you know, so you, you have your new website, it's brotherhoodlife.com. Now, people want to, let's say someone's listening, they want to sign up. 
what can they expect and, and how does it work? Uh, like, can you just break that down for the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. Um, so brotherhoodlife.com is our, is our main website. And as soon as you land on that page, you'll, you'll see our two services, um, highlighted right on that homepage. One is our team room training and you can go to directly to teamroomtraining.com to check that out. It's a little bit more hands-off, uh, but there's a testing phase. So basically when you sign up, you'll, you'll do a testing phase. Um, then you'll get a, a program that's kind of tailored to your strengths and weaknesses. You'll get nutrition coaching each month. Uh, you'll get access to our Facebook group, you know, get support from other guys. You'll be in a community of guys that believe what you believe. Um, I think the power in that when you're trying to train for something that most people around you don't understand why you're doing it, um, is a huge, huge piece in, in being successful or not. Um, it's a pretty awesome offer for that one right now. Um, it's a free 14 day trial. You pay shipping, uh, for my book. Uh, I send you a free copy of my book, sports vision training for shooting performance. You can try it out. Uh, try the membership area out for 14 days. See if you like it. Most guys love it. Stick around for a long time. If you don't, you know, peace out, keep the book. Um, best of luck. Our other service is called our warrior mentor project and you can go to warriormentorproject.com. And now this is a little bit more intensive, um, requires a lot more commitment, a lot more dedication. Um, but the results are much greater at the end of the day. Um, this is where we do a lot of those, the mindset work on purpose, on focus, on breath work. You, know, you get direct access to me. You get a hundred percent individualized programming, you get nutrition coaching every two weeks, video feedback. You really get everything you need, um, to set yourself up for success and the vast majority of the guys that do what we tell them to do in this program uh, are successful in whichever special operations selection they're uh, training for. And it is by application only. Um, so there's an application process. We get, get on a call with you, um, figure out what exactly you want to achieve um, over that 12 month uh, program. Um, some guys stay a lot longer than that, but it's an initial 12 months um, so we can really set the containers, um, for accountability and, uh, support structures so that, you know, it's the new year, right? Guys come into January, super excited. I'm going to have a different year. I'm going to create this and that. And then they take the same fucking actions that they took last year. Yep. And you are not going to have a different year or different results. If you keep doing the same shit you were doing last year, and maybe it's not shit, but you keep doing the same stuff. You're not going to get a different result. Sometimes it takes drastically different measures. Sometimes it takes getting support. Sometimes it takes learning from somebody else and really getting outside your comfort zone. Guys pay a lot of lip service to, you know, oh man, I, I can go to the gym five days a week. You know, I, I can train hard. I can push myself mentally, you know, and then you ask them to post in a Facebook group to a group of 40 other men. Hey, what are your three wins this week? Uh, what are you going to take on to improve your, your purpose? And what are you, uh, going to take on as your yogic meditative or physical practice this week? And it's super uncomfortable for them. <laughs> they can barely do it. And some of them just don't do it, um, because it's so uncomfortable for them. And so I think we pay a lot of lip service to, you know, pu pushing ourselves, pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zone. Um, when in reality, we're just doing more of what we're already good at and we're completely avoiding and lying to ourselves about the things we're not willing to do. And it's in those areas of the things that we're not willing to do that we're really going to create change over time. Right. And I, I think that's a great point to bring up. And, you know, another thing I wanted to say for the audience specifically is, you know, you can say, Hey, you know, I want to be a green beret. I want to be, uh, you know, a seesaw operator. Right. And, and you can be working out, increasing your workouts, you know, reading as much as you can about these specific units and that sort of thing. But and then say, hey, I'm going to go to Wes's website and I'm going to sign up and I'm going to, you know, take his courses and, and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, regardless of what information is given to you, it's up to you to actually pursue that. And like Wes mentioned earlier, you know. 
some guys will, will take the courses and and follow it, no questions asked, and give a thousand percent effort. And then some people won't do it. So, and, and if you want to succeed, and this is for anything really, but specifically for this, if you really want to do it, you're going to have to take this advice that he's giving you and understand that this is well thought out, you know, well planned out, and it's it's given to you from experience. And you have to understand if, if you follow this and specifically to the T on, on what they're teaching you, you will succeed that way. You know, so you, you can't just say, yeah, I want to do it. And then like Wes said, you know, you get to a certain aspect of it and then it's a little uncomfortable for you and then you don't want to do it anymore. You know, so you, you have to kind of be willing to be uncomfortable. I think that's something to really uh, try and hammer into your head for this new year and, and going forward, even for the rest of your life, you know. Yeah, one of my one of my teachers <coughs> or restart that. One of my teachers uh recently shared um a little story with one of the the men's groups that I'm in and it's about a lobster and how they grow and a lobster has a little shell and then eventually they grow and they grow and they grow and eventually it starts to become really uncomfortable. And they have to get out of the shell and now they're completely exposed. They're vulnerable and then they build another shell and then they grow into that one and they grow and they grow and eventually gets uncomfortable again. And then they pop the shell off and they're completely vulnerable and exposed. And I think that's exactly what guys need to be doing. They need to grow and grow and grow to a point that they're completely exposed and vulnerable and they fail. Right. We don't want them to fail on like selection. Right. But failing in their practices or failing in what they're taking on day to day, because it's only once you get to that point that you can really say, oh, shit, like here's my edge. Like this is really tough for me. I'm going to be honest about like this sucks. I have a really hard time doing this and then getting the help you need, asking for the help, creating the support structures, creating the accountability to get to that next level. Because if we just stay in the shell, you know, okay, we're uncomfortable, but I'm not taking the shell off because then I'm going to be exposed and vulnerable. Then you stay the same. You don't get to grow anymore. Right. And I, I think, you know, that's an excellent point. And if you are, because some people, don't, they don't like that feeling where maybe. No, I don't either, man. Right. I don't like feeling. Right. N none of us do. Right. Exactly. And, you know, it's it's interesting because some people they feel like they need to be in control all the time. And once they lose some of that feeling, they don't know what to do right now. I, I feel like, and this is something that I try and do is I feel like there's always something I could be learning. And that way I, I kind of humble myself to say, look, I don't know everything, obviously. And there's always something new that I can learn. And therefore I'm re very receptive to some of these things. And, uh, you know, you can, you can learn something that can really change your life. You know, a, you know, a small passage from a book, a conversation or something you heard on a podcast, let's say, you know, someone's listening and, and that could really have, you know, amazing results for you as an individual. But like you said, in order to, to get to that next level of growth, you have to be exposed, you know, you have to kind of get, get out of your shell and that way you'll, you'll be receptive and then you can build a new shell, you know, and, and, and be stronger, better, smarter, faster, that sort of thing, you know? Hashtag new shell. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. So also, so, you know, you have your book, uh, which is focused on like shooting performance. Um, can we talk a little bit about that book? Like maybe give us a small bit of it so people can kind of get an idea of what is, what it contains. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I I put together this book, Sports Vision Training for Shooting Performance, uh, out of a need I saw. A lot of guys get concerned when they start training for special operations selection. And one of the things they're concerned with is, you know, if they are successful and they get on a course, um, is being successful at the shooting phase. Because, you know, especially in some of the you know, higher end units, uh, the, the standards for your ability to acquire a target and place a round on it accurately and quickly, um, is quite high. And 
I'm not a big believer in doing too much training yourself prior to the course um, because it's really easy to pick up bad habits if you don't have a great instructor. If you do have a great instructor, then, you know, by all means, go ahead. But I think it's one area that guys can focus on uh, without any risk of setting, you know, getting bad habits is just to improve their vision. And while you can improve your visual acuity, like how clearly you can see something at longer distances through glasses or contact lenses or LASIK surgery, there's also things like having good binocular vision, you know, making sure that each eye is picking up the image uh, in the same way, right? So we don't have a right eye or left eye dominance because if you're a pistol shooter and you are a right-handed shooter and you're left eye dominant, it can be, it can pose some issues to acquire those iron sights um, quickly and accurately. Um, there's also things like gaze stabilization, which is your ability to hold your eye on target. So especially when we're shooting long range, for instance, uh, maybe a moving target, um, our ability to, and, and we might not notice this, there's some specific drills that, that I have in the books so that you can kind of figure out if your, your gaze stabilization is, uh, good or not so good, but it's our ability to keep our eye completely on that target, um, as it's moving or not, rather than having our eyes kind of bounce off of it, um, over time. There's a bunch of other drills in the book and tests that you can do to determine where you might be deficient in your vision. Um, but they're easily implemented. Um, and if done consistently over time can produce some really awesome results for shooters. And where can people pick this up? What's the best place to pick it up? Uh, best place. If you also want the, you know, the fitness coaching and nutrition coaching and, um, that being part of that community, I would go to teamroomtraining.com. You just pay shipping seven ninety five. Um, I'll send you a free copy of the book. You get 14 days free in the members area. And if you don't want that uh, and you just want to pick up the book, then I'd just recommend going to amazon.com or amazon.ca, whichever country you're in, just Google or just search sports vision training for shooting performance. Um, and you'll see it pop up there. You can either get a a uh, hard copy or you can get a digital copy for a few bucks. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So Wes, can we, um, talk a little bit about the physical aspect of it? I know we, you know, we did a lot of the mental, uh, parts of like a passing a selection or, or let's say, you know, someone signs up for, for one of your programs. Right. And, um, so, you know, you said you'll, you'll get on the phone, have a conversation and try and figure out you know, strengths and weaknesses and each, like if someone wants to be a, um, a clearance diver or if someone wants to be an army ranger, the, the program obviously is going to be different. Um, it, can we talk a little bit about like what someone can expect or like kind of give examples of how some of the physical parts of it might work just for someone who's interested? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, uh, a few things that are important to consider. Number one is understanding the difference between testing and training and you know the difference between exercising and training if you don't have a specific reason why you're doing everything you're doing in the gym or in your training you're not training you're just exercising you're just doing physical work with no real purpose or direction and in order to create that purpose and direction to make sure that we're on the right place on the map to get from point A to point B, we need to do some testing. We need to kind of take our bearings, figure out where we are, triangulate, right? We need to figure out what our strengths and weaknesses are. You know, so things like figuring out how our grip strength stacks up compared to other successful candidates on selection, comparing where our swimming stacks up compared to other candidates on selection. And this goes further than just a physical, you know, a PST right? There's other physical characteristics that are not covered in most military physical fitness tests that you would do prior to selection. And it's really important, um, to establish where you fall in those other f physical characteristics. You know, maybe it's a, um, 
seven, maybe it's a tread water with a 10 pound brick for as long as possible. Cause that's something that could quite possibly show up in selection. And if you can only do 30 seconds and most guys that are successful can do two minutes with outliers doing like 60 minutes and then getting bored and stopping. If you can't do that, then that's somewhere that your training needs to go and focus on. Um, because you can be the fittest guy in the world and have great physical attributes in 10, 20, 30, 40 areas. But if you have one area that's going to have you fail somewhere on that selection phase, it really doesn't matter. And all you, you need to start putting your, more of your chips, um, into that piece. Other than that, that's like, that's the first thing I think it's really important for guys to understand. And one of the things that we've been doing is starting to, uh, we started just on Friday, um, we're doing tester Fridays. And so on my Facebook page on, uh, facebook.com slash official Wes Kennedy, uh, I'm, po- I'm doing a Facebook live video each Friday where I share one of the testers that we like to use to assess an individual's strengths and weaknesses. I explain why we use it, how it correlates to the demands of selection or of, of the job of a combat athlete, what it tells us about that individual and what kind of standards we're looking for in terms of poor, good, and great. So that would be one place for guys to go to start getting an understanding of why that stuff's important. The other thing I think is really important is for guys to understand that it is an aerobic job. It is not an anaerobic job. It is not a high-intensity interval training type job. A lot of guys find a system of training that they like and then they try and make it work for what the end goal is that they want and it doesn't work like that you have to start with the end goal and then choose a type of training that works to get you there and so if the end goal is special operations selection the first thing we need to understand is to be successful in that means being as strong as you can be while being able to handle as much work volume as possible. And if we're talking how to handle the most work volume possible, what that means is you need a big aerobic engine. Being able to do a Fran in two and a half minutes isn't going to cut it. It, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have much correlation with what you're going to experience on selection or what you're going to experience, um, in the field in combat. And so if we understand that, hey, it's about getting as strong as we can, right? Because a lot of guys also think, hey, I'm just going to do a lot of aerobic work or cardio. But if we don't have the requisite bone strength and tendon strength and ligament strength, if we don't have the lean muscle tissue um, to support us and the strength to absorb that impact, when we're running with an 80 pound rucksack, right? It's a lot of impact. And if we don't have the requisite strength, that's where injuries are going to happen, right? If we can't hold that log over our head for 10, 20 minutes, if we can't run around with a boat over our head because we don't have the requisite strength, it doesn't really matter how aerobic we are. We're going to kind of collapse and fall apart. So guys need to understand how do I get as strong as, how do I create a program that's going to get me strong and enduring simultaneously and cut out all this hype around doing anaerobic glycolytic work, high intensity interval training, because it's just not that's it's just not found in the job. There's few times where you'd need to tap into that system. So there can be touches of it maybe near the end as we get closer to selection, just because, you know, it's good for the toughness training. It's nice to be able to have a little bit of that, um, lactate in the body so we can tap into that fuel source. Um, but generally it's, it's an aerobic piece and it's a strength piece and, and, you know, you combine those two and you start to get some good strength stamina as well. Right. And and for people who aren't too familiar with the difference of aerobic and anaerobic, it's pretty much like the difference of sprinting or jogging. Um, kind of, yeah. Just think aerobic is always consistent. So whether it's aerobic capacity and we're doing 60 minutes plus of work and which means you need to be, if it's training, it means you are maintaining a pace throughout. If you're trying to do aerobic capacity work, so 60 minutes plus of consistent work 
whether that's running, swimming, rucking, or some sort of mixed modal uh, type of work, if your pacing drops throughout, you're starting to get into your glycolytic system. You're, you're not effectively training your aerobic system. If you're doing aerobic power work, so like some more intense pieces, um, like 30 seconds run at 85% aerobic effort, 30 seconds walk times 40, then again, we want to make sure that every single work interval, so every single 30 seconds at 85% effort is consistent. And as long as you do that, it doesn't really matter like how intense it is. You, you can be assured that you're sticking in your aerobic zone. And then it's just a matter of learning over time, like how, like how hard can I go? How far can I push this while remaining consistent? And when I say consistent, I mean, if you're doing 30 seconds of running, so let's say that's 150 meters, then every set should be between 150 and 152 meters across all 40 sets. That's how consistent it should be. What a lot of guys think, and here's the other issue guys do high. I was just talking to a buddy about this the other day. Who's, uh, I don't even want to wreck. <laughs> I don't want to mention the name of the company, but it's a color theory. So choose a color and then the word theory on the end. I don't know what it could be, <laughs> but it's one of these places where you go in and you do a bunch of high intensity interval training followed by some aerobic work. Two issues with that. Number one, the body's going to get confused because you're giving it two different stimuli to adapt to. You're trying to have it adapt to glycolytic work and you're trying to have it adapt to predominantly aerobic work. Number two, which is even, which is the bigger issue is that the way they train that high intensity interval training is, um, is also ineffective because they do kind of the same thing. They don't give enough rest. If you're doing glycolytic training, say 60 seconds of all out work, let's say you do 60 seconds kettlebell swings as hard as possible. So if you have the capacity and the strength and the movement, um, ability to do that effectively, right, it might be a different piece for somebody else, but if you're able to do that effectively and you want to do glycolytic training, so you do 60 seconds hard of work, most places are going to give you maybe two minutes rest and you're gonna do that six or eight times. And essentially what's going to happen is your time is just going to drop. So you're not really doing glycolytic training. You're almost doing glycolytic testing. Like you're really kicking the shit out of your body when you do that. Doing it effectively would mean 60 seconds work and then maybe like six or seven minutes rest so that every time you're repeating that, you're, you're also consistent, but it's just done at a higher intensity. Might be hard for guys to like really track and take this in. And it's something I would recommend listening to um, a few times. I think what I really want guys to take away from this is that if the training you're doing doesn't have an understanding of what kind of physical characteristics are required of what your end goal is, if it doesn't have some sort of testing to determine where you're at and then where, you know, subsequent testing to determine where you are as you move through your training, you're not training. You're just exercising your throwing all caution to the wind and you're just hoping for the best 80, 80% of guys fail these selections. You need to be willing to do what other guys are not willing to do. If you want to be successful, end of story. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm glad you kind of dropped that, uh, bit of information. That's very interesting. And, you know, kind of outside of the realm of selection in terms of the, the high intensity work that people like to do. And, um, you know, when you talked about the kettlebell swings, right, you know, people usually have that short rest period in between uh, sets. But then, like you said, each time they do it, it'll, you know, it'll decrease their performance. But giving that extra couple of minutes of rest will give them the maximum output. So that that's, that's kind of very interesting. And I, I haven't really heard uh, that kind of uh, take on it before. Yeah, and, and, and the... The thing to really, yeah, and the thing to really watch for, because this is what I hear from a lot of guys that do that sort of training is one, I really need it. Like I really need to push myself and feel like I really emptied the tank. Um, and then they still complain of low libido, uh, 
interrupted sleep, you know, lower energy at certain parts of the day. I hate to tell guys this. Actually, I don't hate to tell guys this. Um, I hate the reactions that I get sometimes. You can't have both. Either you're going to have you're going to follow a training plan that's going to keep your adrenals in check, good hormonal function, good sleep, right? We're, we're going to have a little bit of interruption if we're really pushing ourselves in the athletic arena. But if we, re, if we're really pushing ourselves like in a bad way where we're chronically testing ourselves, you know, we can't get an erection anymore. Um, we have low libido, low drive, low motivation, interrupted sleep, loss of appetite. You can say all you want that you, Oh, you just need to have that empty the tank, hundred percent effort feeling. Well, what's going to come along with that are all the symptoms I just mentioned. And until you're willing to do something differently, nothing's going to change. You're going to just keep digging yourself deeper into that hole. I've seen it time and time and time again. And once guys do start following dialed in nutrition, dialed in programming, um, that's tailored for them and what they need, it makes the world of difference in their lives. They have to make that choice. Yeah, that, that's great advice, man. And I, I really hope that the audience, you know, people who are interested specifically in this and then, you know, for anyone who's just interested in, in some of the fitness realm outside of the special operations selection could really take some of this advice home, you know, and, uh, you know, I highly recommend to check out Wes on his social media. You know, he said he gives a a live video every week and he also drops some videos giving good advice. Uh, I've watched some of it on Facebook and, and stuff like that. So, Wes, before we get out of here, can you drop some of your handles uh, again for the audience? They want to check you out. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, on Facebook, I do. I do a few Facebook lives um, each week. Um you go to facebook.com slash official West Kennedy. Uh, if you want to check out our business page, it's facebook.com slash brotherhood life. Um, I'm on Snapchat at Wes dash Ken W E S dash K E N. Uh, or you can find me on Instagram at W E S underscore K E N and, uh, brotherhoodlife.com is our website. You go to teamroomtrain.com or warriormentorproject.com to check out our two services um, hope to see some of you guys on the other side. Awesome. All right, Wes, thanks for coming on, brother. I appreciate everything. Thanks, John. Been a pleasure. Cheers, brother. It's always a good time having Wes on the podcast. You know, like I said, he has a very interesting take on fitness, on the ways and methodology that you should use to improve, you know, mindset. And it isn't just like suck it up, be tougher. It's you know, it's very systematic and it's very interesting. So check out Wes on his social media. Check him out on his website. And he's constantly putting out videos, live videos, describing some of these modules and methods that he has for, you know, self-improvement and things like that. And it's all very interesting stuff as you just heard on the podcast. So with that being said, now I'm going to close out this episode. You can check out my website at globalrecon.net. My Facebook account is FB Recon. My Instagram account is IG Recon. The second account is Black Ops Matter. The third account, which I moderate, but it's it's an account that's owned by my friends, Chantal Taylor, a British Army combat medic, is mission underscore critical. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Just search Global Recon on Twitter at IG Recon. Always subscribe, download, and share these episodes with your friends and family. That way it'll be easier for us to continue to provide you with high-quality content. And um, we'll see you in a couple of days with another episode. Peace.